Well, it's another episode of the Last Drinks podcast. I'm Will Hitchens, and joining me from Thailand is Mitchell Ford. Hello, Mitchell. G'day, Will. How you going? Long time no see. How are you doing over there? Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, been here. I've been in Thailand for 40 days now, so it's mm. been a bit of a ride. How about you? How are you going back in the Gold Coast, battling with the the beautiful, consistent weather and the amazing beaches? <laughs> Must be. Must always be a challenge. It's first world problems, clearly. Um, but you know, I had the had to deal with the the dramas of dealing with the weather down south uh, when we were in Adelaide together, having thirty eight degree days and then twenty degree days the next day. Um, this is very true. <laughs> it well, can be unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, you can um, see why I moved from Adelaide to Gold Coast. We do like a bit of consistency up here, but um, so yeah, we were obviously together in. Adelaide around Christmas, New Year's, uh, you were showing me the ropes of the home turf. Yep. Parted ways, you ended up in Thailand. I've come back home and, yeah, we're just keen to get an update on your travels. And the main thing, uh, you've just come off a silent retreat for the past week. Yes. So that's I probably going to be the crux. That's probably going to be the crux of what we'll get into today. But before we... Uh, get up to date on the life of Mitchell Ford in Thailand. We do actually have to promote something, don't we, Mitchell? I know. It's big it's big news. It's big last drinks news that we've <laughs> we landed a sponsor at last. It's happened. It's it's we've yeah. begged and begged and it's finally come through. So I guess this episode is brought to you by Zeka Skin. And it's a it's a men's skincare brand. This is it. And it's lovely packaging that was sent to us. Um, there's four different um, types of skincare products in here. So I'll just pull them out now. You know, you got a, you got a moisturizer, you got an eye cream, you got a clay mask. This is all stuff that I've probably not really used myself, you know. And then we got a face scrub as well. So um, that's interesting stuff, you know. It seems that. I don't know. A lot of men probably don't do much in the way of skincare for their face. It's mostly just what soap and then wash, drying it off with the towel that they dry their their assholes with. So. Get the three in one shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. That's all you need. And to- toothpaste and fucking because we were all about convenience. So, um, but the cool thing about Zeka is that for every. Um, this is a little card that they send with the box. I don't know if it's on screen there. So yeah. every box, they donate $8 to, I guess, these two organizations, Top Blokes Foundation and Men's Line Australia, because uh, they do a lot of work with men's mental health. So um, I guess we're two blokes who have fucked mental health from time to time. So that's always a good thing to <laughs> Support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's good to good to pair up with Zeka. Um, we thought it was a really good fit for us because, yeah, we, we love their products and the fact that they donate and contribute so much to, to men's mental health, it's really in line with what we're about. So it's awesome to have them on board. Yeah, and if you're someone like me who would look at some of these things and think, okay, what the fuck do I do with them? There's also you got directions of use on the back of this card. So... There's no excuses for not looking sexy now, so get yourself one of the one of these um, care packages today at Zeka Skin. I believe I just put the box up there. 
trying to see it. There we go. Zekka skin. Um, good stuff. So I'll probably just, you know, leave that over there. I won't put it back. I'll put it back in the box in a moment because I guess we got. Yeah. I got. I got other things to do. Like I guess. Yeah. This this episode. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we would love to just be putting on our care products. Most of the day. Yeah, imagine we'll if we should have, should have put on a fa- put on the clay mask for the episode. Ooh, just maybe. sit there, maybe. get the cucumbers over the eyes. <laughs> yes. That's that's that. You know, you know me, Will. That's something I would really like. Before we get into the your crux of your trip so far in Thailand, tell us how the rest of it has been going. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I've had a really amazing experience around all of Thailand. It's it's been. Um, probably my favourite destination so far. The food's amazing. Some incredible beaches, and met all kinds of different people, and a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of interesting lessons that I've learnt that have made it really valuable for me to be away. And um, yeah, and also just still really so grateful for you to you know keep the podcast going, Will, and allowing me to have this time for myself and for for the growth that I need to do. Uh, really, you know, and the time away, I do think about um, all the work that you put in, and I really do appreciate you. A lot so but uh but yeah the the um the travel's been great and um yeah the no drinking thing has been has been fine i haven't haven't had a drink haven't really felt the impulse um uh i suppose i've been staying in hotels a lot more and in hostels just been uh, politely declining and it seems to work pretty well hmm. well certainly yeah that would probably make it the less there'd be less temptation there um getting having your own space away from particular hostile environments and especially like Thailand's particular particular can be a particular party spot as well but that's that's the same I guess with Bali as well but like it, I guess it just depends on where you go because there's a lot of health focus around in those areas as well you just gotta you just gotta yeah. choose your areas wisely I guess yeah absolutely it's actually weird because I haven't really seen that much party I know it sounds silly mm. but because because I haven't been going out that much late at night and I spend most of the time being busy during the day, being active and doing different things. It's uh yeah, I don't really notice it that much. So it's been mm. it's been really really nice and really pleasant. And I guess that just comes from I guess evolving and growing in the pursuit of continual sobriety is yeah. that sort of stuff you you stop to notice less and less and it just becomes I guess you know, background noise as you continue the journey in the pursuit of life, (laughs) I guess. So, yeah, we'll ask about, because, yeah, you've just come off this silent retreat yesterday um, and you were in there for seven days. Mm -hmm. So why did you decide to do a silent retreat? Um, I first had the idea back um, when I went into counselling a couple of years ago and um, part of that, uh, therapy was sort of under, or learning about mindfulness and, and meditation, which uh, I, I made it a part of my routine as I, as I did some morning meditation each day for, for a good stretch there um, and learned about mindfulness. But, um, yeah, probably didn't fully grasp its value um, because mm. I was going to the counsellor with these issues that I thought I had and she was helping as much as she could. And but then she was also kind of reinforcing that I really need to practice like mindfulness and meditation. She kept like expressing the importance, but of course me like no no like you need to help me with my problems. You know this this isn't working. So I was kind of ignorant to her advice. But she she then recommended doing a silent retreat, 
um, because it's kind of a deep dive into mindfulness and meditation. When, I guess, was there any particular place you wanted to do it or is it just, oh, well, I'm going on this gap year, I'll find somewhere to do it while I'm overseas? Yeah, well, I first found one in Bali. I was actually, I'd actually booked it um, for December, um, but plans mm. changed as they do um, and then ended up um, doing one in Thailand. So I, I Googled it. There's, a, there's one in, um, in mainland Thailand, which is a 10-day silent meditation retreat, um, which uh, I know some people that have done it and it's, it's, it's fairly tough, um, mm. very rewarding as well. But I couldn't quite make it to that one. It didn't work with where I was at the time and it just happened so that there was one in Koh Samui which is a small island off the coast of Thailand, which is now unfortunately famous for the for the death of the late great Shane Warne. So hopefully oh. <laughs> it wasn't at the it wasn't at the silent retreat. I don't think it was, but um, yeah, but yeah, the, the great man did pass away here, and that's that's where I am now. And that's yeah, I found the retreat here. So I guess we'll we'll tuck tuck into what exactly goes on at a silent retreat because I mean I've heard of them. I, I wouldn't. And t- I wouldn't know sort of what goes on there. So, can you paint us a picture for what your last, what the last seven days were like for you? Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, it was. It's based up at a, a, a Buddhist monastery, uh, and it's called a meditation training center. So, it's up in the up in the hills of Koh Samui. It's this beautiful kind of jungle area with a. Uh, I guess it's got a few key facilities. It's got a dining hall. Um, it's got a meditation hall. And then it's got uh, dormitories, which is all set mm. within the within the jungle. So there's lots of animals around. There's, you know, it's incredibly loud at night with birds and insects, and uh, we actually saw a snake and some frogs and all kinds of different animals. So it's it's in a really beautiful sort of picturesque nature environment, and it's all overlooking the ocean. So it's it's really an incredible spot um, to undertake this sort of thing. And um, essentially, yeah, it was seven days. Uh, long so each morning was a 4 30 a.m wake up and it would start with uh, about an hour and a half of meditation and yoga and then going into breakfast and then there's a bit of free time and then there was about another three hour period of meditation and then lunch and so on and so forth basically between mm. each meal you know period long periods of meditation this one was uh no single meditation period was longer than 30 minutes. So it would be a 30-minute um, meditation period of sitting and then it would be a 30-minute walking meditation then a 30-minute sitting meditation because this mm. one was more of a beginner course. Yeah. Um, the more extreme ones, they do like hour and a half sitting meditations. But I personally, I can't even, I mean, I can't even sit cross-legged for like more than 20 minutes. So I actually had to, my guilty admission is I actually had to sit in a chair um, the whole time pretty mm. much. So okay. they have them at the back of the room. There was me and a couple of others, um, but just because of my mobility and my hips and I think from from years of playing football and having a knee reconstruction and basically never stretching, I just can't sit cross-legged. <laughs> it's super painful. So, um, and in terms of the, um, uh, the schedule also, they do about an hour and a half of um, Buddhist teaching per day. So not only was it to train us in meditation and mindfulness, but it was also to instruct us on the sort of a beginner's guide to to Buddhism because mindfulness is a, is really a, a Buddhist um, practice and it's but it's only a small part of their overall philosophy. So it was really insightful to learn about that too. Um, 
And in terms of the the bedding, it was um, it was uh, essentially in a big dormitory. Um, there were private rooms, but very intimate. You could hear everyone else sort of rolling over. So it's you know you don't have a lot of privacy, and it's also on a wooden bed with a, a wooden pillow. So part of the retreat is you're not allowed to indulge in any sort of comfort or pleasure. So they they don't allow you to have a mattress or a, or a comfortable pillow, which you know makes sleeping quite difficult. Um, so the yeah. amount of sleep on the retreat was was not all that much. Probably not as bad as you'd think. The body and mind did adjust to the to the, the hard surface sort of fairly quickly, but it was still, yeah, not the most comfortable night's sleep that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for food, we had um, breakfast was uh, sort of a, I guess, how would I describe it? It was like a, a soup with um, lots of fresh vegetables and, and greens. So it was a full full vegetarian retreat as well um, yeah. with two, two meals a day. And then lunchtime was similar rice, a curry with fruit. Uh, and then dinner was just a, a, one, a, a small banana with uh, a cup of tea. So mm-hmm. uh, which I think they just gave that to us just so we had some sort of mental uh, barrier of thinking that we'd had dinner. Like we, we think we've had dinner, but really it's probably like, no, it's probably 50, 50 calories at best. So it's yeah, just yeah. a small snack. Um, and, yeah, I guess that that's all part of trying to keep us away from pleasure to to really mm-hmm. because we, we use pleasure. I mean, they were telling us that, you know, in, in our lives we use pleasure so much to distract us from our mind. So the whole purpose of the meditation retreat is to be you alone with your mind and and that's also why there's complete silence. Because obviously, if you're talking with someone, it's a distraction in a way. Because if you're thought, if you're um, talking, you're thinking, and so that's part of it is complete silence. So it's silence of the of the mind is really what mm. what you're trying to achieve on the retreat. Um, and in terms of the the types of meditation that were taught, it was uh, there were three meditations. So there's a vipassana meditation, which is kind of like a a meditation where you're have an open awareness so you're you're focused on the breath but you're also focused on any other sensations that appear into your consciousness um mm. secondly they taught us a concentration meditation which is simply monitoring the breath through the nose and and, and trying to feel the breath coming in and out the nose just from from one part for for half an hour so essentially you're just solely concentrating on your on your breathing and then and then if the mind slips away trying to come back to the breathing mm. um, and then it was all and the final one was a loving kindness meditation which was where you sort of visualize um, someone that you uh, have a great relationship with and then you know feeling some internal uh, feelings about that and then finally thinking of someone you might have a difficult relationship with but then trying to feel the same way that you feel about the person you have a good relationship with that you do about the person you have a bad relationship with. Mm. Um, because they say that uh, if you hold any anger or resentment to anyone, that's kind of, uh, it's actually damaging ourselves. And so the best way yeah. to move past that is to send them love and kindness because then the mind will stop that or it might reduce the amount of anger or resentment you have towards that person, which ultimately leads to more peace. Yeah. Yeah. That was that's that's kind of the crux of of the I think I've covered everything. Um, yeah, mm. that's that was pretty much the 
the core of the retreat in terms of how it was set up. So go, can you go through, I guess, because obviously how it starts for you and then probably yeah. getting towards the end of it would be very different. You probably, yeah. what was you, what did you feel like when you were heading in? Was there any just like, oh shit, here we go. Yeah. It's, t- oh. it's time to go shut the fuck up for seven days. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I had had been experiencing so much pleasure for the last month, you know, like I'd been um, eating beautiful food every day, you know, having cans of Coke and, um, you know, I've been like listening to the cricket for hours at a time and, you know, I'm on my phone and all these distractions and now it's like, all right, I'm going to go into this thing and just be alone with my, alone with my thoughts. Um, I was, um, to be brutally honest, yeah, I was, I was quite anxious and I actually called my dad and I said, look, even if I only do like one or two days, like I'm just giving myself that option to, to get out because um, I sort of had an idea because, because you know, you and I, as we've said, we both don't have the best mental health at times. So I knew that being alone with my thoughts um, could potentially be a dangerous thing. And, you know, I've heard of people having psychotic episodes and um, all kinds of things on these retreats because I say people with um, certain disorders of, of the mind or, um, you know, even some retreats, if you have depression or anxiety, they kind of recommend that you don't go. And so knowing mm. that I'd had that diagnosis before and to go in, um, I was actually even thinking that they might not even let me in because yeah. um, they said they have an entry interview. And so um, I was a little bit concerned about that, but um, ultimately they didn't bring it up. And so I just went into it head first and uh, we started in the afternoon and went up into the ret- retreat center and, and the, the afternoon was fine. They still allowed us to talk and just briefed us um about mm. everything yeah essentially once the the silence started we're up 4 30 day one and i guess day one i had a lot of excitement and energy because it's all new and exciting you know what's what's going to mm. happen what's going to learn am i going to survive am i going to you know it's it's that uncertainty and then i mean it wasn't long before i just noticed how much noise i have inside my head like it was just <laughs> mind-blowing i couldn't uh, like, yeah. because because I've never been in a state where where um, I'm actually watching my thoughts because there's a difference mm. between thinking and watching your thoughts, which is that's what meditation yeah. part of it is, is watching what thoughts come up and identifying what's going on in your mind as opposed to just thinking, oh, shit, I forgot to do the washing. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, but then I need to get detergent. It's, you know, instead of going down that, it's just, oh, shit, mm. I've, I've got the washing to do and then letting it pass and then coming back to the brain. Mm. And so by doing yeah. that, you actually notice the amount of thoughts that are just constantly coming in. And, um, yeah, I mean, by the end of day one, I was honestly thinking like, fuck, six more days of this, mm. you know. Um, I mean, I was I was up for the challenge. I was up for the challenge, but it was definitely daunting. Um, day two is kind of hard to remember exactly what happened, but I do remember getting more clarity around um, – I started to feel a sense, a slight sense of calm coming. Like I felt better than day one. And Mm. so as you're um, meditating, just slowly getting used to it, slowly coming back to the breath. And then I started to notice all of the negative thoughts that were uh, maybe not even negative thoughts, just the thoughts that were repetitive. So for example, I'd have a thought about um, some future and some future thing like, I was thinking a lot about my life back in the Gold Coast. That was a, that was a thing that kept coming up. So that would come up, and then I would 
come back to the breath and then it would still be there, still be there. And the meditation teacher, who'd been a long-time monk, he, he mentioned um, that if this happens, it's best to deal with whatever you're that keeps coming back. If there's a thought that just keeps hammering you, it's best it's it's best to give it a little bit of attention and, and do some pondering, mm. guess some uh, some active thinking um, around it. And so what, what would that be like? Active thinking on a particular thought. I guess it would be dealing with it in some way, like coming up. For, I mean, for me, it would be coming up with a solution. For, for this problem. Mm. So for me, what it was, was I went into the retreat and I left my journals because they take away all your stuff except for just your clothing and your, and, and just bare bones, toiletries and whatnot. Um, mm. And uh, I, I left my journal in my bag and then on day two, or it might've been, yeah, I think it was day two, because I had these repetitive thoughts, I des- decided to buy a journal. Um, it was only very cheap. And they said that if you do want to buy a journal, it's okay because we understand some people need to right to to get things off off your mind so i decided to sort of write a plan for for when i got back and just some you know it wasn't too detailed but it was just reminding myself like it's okay whatever happens will happen because as you know i'm going through a career change kind of phase so there's a lot of uncertainty around what i'm going to do for work um yeah and i wrote it all down and went back to meditation but then the thoughts kept coming again and Mm. again and so that was when I realized that the mind will continue to throw the same thoughts at you um, again and again, regardless of if you've, you've dealt with them or not. And so then it's, mm. and then it's a matter of, well, thinking about it more is not going to help. Thinking about this problem isn't actually going to resolve the issue. And my, count, my counselor told me that back in the day, and that's why she pushed mindfulness. She said, Mitch, if you could think your way out of this problem, you would have already by now. So... Mm more thinking isn't going to resolve the issue. It's actually yeah. moving away from thinking and get, and being more mindful of what you're doing at that present moment. So instead of driving the car and thinking about, you know, all of your problems, it's about driving the car and focusing, maybe listening to music and really listening to the music. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, and now I really understand what she, what she meant. Um, and yeah, and so that was, a, that was a big insight for me. So just noticing how active my mind was and the best way to deal with it is by mindfulness and meditation. Mm. It's not by dwelling on things too much. Um, obviously, we can't ignore all our thoughts, but some we need to give attention to. But I think if if they're, it's about becoming aware of the thoughts which are on a loop and trying to, to build some distance. I guess they come and then you watch them come, then you watch them go. Yeah. But I guess then there's yeah, that if they keep coming back and then it's just, oh, what the fuck? You again. You yeah. again. Fuck off. <laughs> and the thing is, I, yeah. I underst- it's funny because I understood this a while ago in terms of, um, you know, someone told me and I remembered. I was like, yeah, I understand what it is, but it's actually the practice that's important. You know, there's a difference mm. because, and that's really why the practice is the most important thing. And that's um, why this retreat was amazing because it it's a week of practicing building distance from mm. your thoughts um which yeah. yeah it's just so powerful so were there many other people doing it and then did anyone else like you know you're saying that some people have like psychotic episodes mm-hmm. so was there any drama with anyone else there or was everyone else i guess managed to see it out the seven days yeah well i mean there was um there was i think there was 53 people started and 50 finished um 
so the one of the volunteers who'd been meditating, you know, he's like a, um, he was also one of the instructors. He's not a monk, but he was a, a long time meditator. And he said that, um, that three out of 53 is actually really good for, for this course. He mm. said when it's up to 30, uh, 33% or one, one third of, of participants leave um, before the seven mm. days is up. But in terms of psychotic episodes, um, I mean, no one that I spoke to seemed to have too much difficulty. But that was obviously not during it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, we got to speak at the end, um, but I'll, mm. I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Like, yeah. if you got caught speaking during it, would it be like, all right, start again, day one? Yeah, you're back. <laughs> no, nah, it was, it was a three strikes and you're out policy. So, oh, okay. um, yeah. there was there was there was one there was one um, participant who. I don't think she could help herself. She had to talk a little bit. She spoke and now she didn't get in towards the end. She got in trouble because she, you could see her whispering in the corner to someone else. And she got told off a couple of times, but otherwise everyone was pretty much silent. The only time How did you find it, I, I found the silence. Did you find it? Yeah. The, the silence was the easy part. The, the silence mm. is not, is not, is not the hard part at all. Like, um, I didn't even think about it the whole time. I'm not like, I was never thinking, gee, I really want to talk here. You know that that wasn't an, an impulse at all, because you're so you're so focused on on mindfulness and meditation that you you're not really thinking as much as you normally do, and mm. uh, and because everyone else is silent, you're just all experiencing the same thing. And um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about the rest of the the days. So, for, mm. and then I'll talk a little bit about mindfulness afterwards. Yeah. Um, so day three, things started to get better. I also noticed that my mind is was a little bit like a roller coaster. There'd be periods where um, I'd be kind of happy and content and quite quiet, and then there'd be just these thoughts that would overwhelm me, and I'd buy into them, you know. And I and I'd mm. think, and I got tricked, you know. My mind tricked me into thinking I need to give this thought attention, but then now that I'm out, I'm like, why did I get? Why did I dwell on that so much? And you know, it was around family things and, and, you know, becoming really like sad about certain relationships in my family. And, um, and then now I, I realize it was that the, the mind hates silence so much that it just throws things at you to try and let you give it attention because it wants, hmm. the mind wants to be stimulated. The mind wants to be stimulated and just sitting there watching the breath. It doesn't like it. The mind doesn't like it. It wants to come back to thinking because that's some form of stimulation. So um, it threw all kinds of things at me throughout the, the period and I guess day three and it slowly got better, but it wasn't until day five that I had something really unusual happen. Um, and it was, mm -hmm. it was the best part of the, of the retreat for me. So day five in the afternoon, I was doing a walking meditation, which is essentially where I'm walking up and down um, 15 meter strip on some pavers in this nice jungle area. You walk mm. up about 15 steps and then you turn back and walk back 15 steps up and back up and back and the whole time you're concentrating on the feelings in the base of your foot any sounds and your breathing and so you're really just concentrating mm. and walking very slowly very slowly and all of a mm. sudden i just had all these really funny memories pop into my mind and i just started laughing out loud just by myself so i probably look like i'm some psycho because i'm just there laughing to myself slowly walking up and down and uh, mm. and then yeah, it just wouldn't stop, and it went on for went on for um, hours and hours, and it got to a point where um, it actually felt like I was having a trip on like on shrooms, like everything opened mm. up, 
I was, I had this sense of complete joy, complete peace, complete, like it was really amazing. And I had nothing, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of thinking, but there was the only thinking were just like funny memories and all these insights to how to live life. Like I was just thinking, you know, wow, like how I feel right now is how I want to live. Just, comp- just, I feel mm. great. I'm not worried about anything. I have no resentment towards anyone or anything. And it was, it was incredible. And it lasted all night. It was really hard to sleep. Um, I mean, actually during it, I thought, am I having a psychotic episode? <laughs> am, am I bipolar? Is this like, am I, am I learning that I'm having like a, you know, one of the, um, the episode, like a bipolar sort of um, episode. And yes, yeah, so that was probably the most amazing period of the retreat. And then that was before the final day. I suppose it's six full days, so it's seven days from from start to finish. But there's kind of two half days where you you know you, you you're coming in and going out. And on the final yeah. day, it, it was a little bit difficult because we're all so restless. And um, I'd had that amazing experience, and I'd felt like I'd had a grip on meditation. Um, and then yeah, and then finished uh, on the Saturday, which was just two days ago. Oh no, sorry, no, yesterday. Yes, finished yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so what was the what was the sentiment coming out of it, completing it? How did you feel afterwards? Oh, I feel I mean, I still feel amazing. It's it's really mm. I haven't I haven't felt this 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 good in, in such a long time. Mm. And coming out of it, you know, I was talking to all the other other people because they allow you to talk in the in the morning and and one thing I wanted to touch on is that whole giggling episode. It turns out two of the guys that were sitting in chairs next to me, they both had the exact same thing happen which I, I thought mm. was really un, unusual. So we all went through this kind of yeah. experience without noticing. Because when I mentioned it, one of the other guys was like saying that the same thing had happened to him. So mm. it was this really powerful thing of like, okay, I don't have bipolar. <laughs> or maybe we mm. all have bipolar. I don't know. But it was it was this just this incredible uh, afternoon that, that day. And we all spoke about it. And I spoke to some of the other people that had, uh, been on the retreat and one guy this was I think his 12th retreat and he was saying that you know it does feel like a drug like you're on drugs um, afterwards like you, you feel um, just so calm and um, but he said you won't notice until until you really go back out because I mm. think by the end I was really keen just for you know a mattress and a pillow and just, mm. you know, check my phone. There were, you know, just speak to some family, you know, like there were just some things I really wanted to do first. I was kind of craving that. So I came back to this hotel, which I, I booked a hotel nearby, which is about a 20-minute walk and got back, spoke to my dad and I just noticed straight away my interaction with him was so different. It was just so mm. much more calm and felt so much more peace within myself and yeah, and even it was like, you know, pretty emotional talking to him because, um, yeah, he, he kind of understands all this and he, because he's been on a, a lot of spiritual journeys himself. Like you met him briefly, like he's a fairly, I guess you could call mm. him a fairly woo-woo guy, but look, that's that's who he is. <laughs> like that. And, and he is a really happy guy and I think that's because he yeah. understands this kind of thing. And and then, yeah, and then I went to, I went to lunch and, um, you know, leaving my phone behind and, just being fully present, went and had a meal and ate it really mindfully as they taught us through the retreat to, you know, when you're eating to just eat really slowly, look at what you're eating, slowly chew, count your spoonfuls, just stay with what you're doing. Don't let your mind go for a walk. Just stay with Mm. what's in front. 
And so I ate this meal and it was by the ocean and I stopped eating and they took my plate away and I just sat there. And all of a sudden I just started to like weep. You know, I just started to mm. cry and I had, I very rarely cry. And it's I've actually, one of my intentions has been to try and cry, you know, in some, in some <laughs> way, because I, like I get worried sometimes that I don't cry enough. And, and it was just because I had this huge sense of relief. I have this huge, and I still have it. It's this sense of relief that there is a way to improve my mental health in, in some sort of natural practice because I've been on a recovery, you know, I started my recovery journey two years ago and, you know, being sober is tough because you, you're left with your anxiety and you find other addictions yeah. and you find other shit to, to basically replace alcohol. And, you know, you, you saw me in December, I was like vaping and eating shit food all the time and doing basically everything else except for drinking because, yeah, yeah because I'm, I'm still, I've still got the same shit, you know, like the, yeah, the drink yeah. is gone, but I've got the same shit. And, so it was just this sense of relief, like, oh, there is a way out. There is a way to be happy sober, like, and really feeling yeah. it. And, yeah, so it was a really amazing moment for me. And, and I still feel that way. And I know that as the day goes on, like, I probably will lose this feeling a little bit. But I think mm. having a, a constant meditation practice and, and slowly being more and more mindful and, and trying to build towards being as mindful as I can, as often as I can, I think, it's it's really um, it's really the way to become happy or or to have contentment. As you, I mean, you were relaying. I mean, I was here's me thinking: was the first meal that you had when you got out was at KFC? But I, no, I don't know whether that would. Have been. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. You know, that was like the first meal. That was the last meal that I had before I went in. <laughs> funnily enough, but but um, but you know, eating so clean all week. I can now see the impact. Like I actually feel really good because of that as well. Like just mm. realizing the impact of I've never eaten so clean in a week. Like yeah, just literally homegrown vegetables and mm. like and and made with love. You know, like they got a beautiful kitchen there with Thai cooks, and these curries were honestly delicious. Like really amazing. Mm. It wasn't a lot. Like I, I think I lost a lot of weight during the retreat. Um, but yeah, just the whole package of of eating right of meditating, being mindful, um, having silence, being kind to yourself, you know, visualizing being kind to others. It has a dramatic impact on the mind. Because even, I mean, some of the things it made me think of, I mean, even in my sort of journey, I think if we look on the grand scheme of things with our drinking, I think it's not about the drinking. I think drinking was the tool <laughs> that we used to cope with whatever we weren't able to deal with. And then, I think that the drinking was just the most destructive, I guess, um, um, mechanism that we used and we cut it out. It's like, all right, well, our life isn't as chaotic as it might have once been, but the behaviours are still, I guess, being implemented, but they're just being used by other, I guess, distractions in a way. I guess there's some people where if it is like food, if it is social media, if it is just being on your phone and because, yeah, like just being present, seems to be a quite a challenge these days like you like an example would be just even driving the car can you just go from a to b without having to fucking reach for your phone you know when you shouldn't be anyway because you know that <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a hefty fine now but there's times you're just like oh i got i can't sit i can't sit still just with this i have to be distracted by 
texting someone, texting a hundred people hello. Like it's just absolutely yeah. because it's 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 addictive. You know, thinking mm. and and stimulation is incredibly addictive. And to go into a little bit about the Buddhist teachings, not that I'm like I'm not trying. I'm no expert. Like I, I think they did you know, a total of, I don't know, maybe 10 hours of teaching, so probably a full day's worth. Mm. But from what I do understand is that we really, we crave desire and and we, we, we crave stimulation, you know, and that's that's what the ego wants. That's the ego, supposedly, is this yeah. thing that wants to think, it wants more, it wants more, it wants always to, to have more stimulation, wants more money, wants more sex, wants more, you know, it's like this this inner this inner beast that we all, we all have, everyone has it Mm. Um, for some more than others. Um, But the Buddhist teachings is, is all about sort of denying all of those pleasures and, and seeing what happens. Mm. And, and that's, I mean, Buddhist monks are the example of that where they have no pleasure in their life at all. You know, they, they Mm. essentially, yeah, they, they deny themselves of essentially any comfort at all. Like I heard this funny story mm. at one of the, the main retreats. They even make them, the actual monks will get their food and then they'll pour water in it and mix everything together so it doesn't have any flavor because mm. you know, having any flavor in food is some kind of pleasure, which is going to create some kind of desire, which and in the Buddhist, the main thing is, or one of the key things is that desire is the root of suffering and that mm. the more we desire, the more we will inevitably suffer. And, and the, but on, on the flip side, the root of happiness is security, you know, and that's, and that's something that I took away and it's really made me reflect on, on my life is like, where do I have security? You know, and to be honest, a lot of my life, I haven't had security in all sorts of ways, security about my self-identity, security, you know, um, security in work, you know, security in Mm. social settings. Like I haven't always had that. And it, and it really makes it obvious as to why I've never felt content, why I've never felt settled. And um, it's, mm. it's given me a lot to, to ponder for the, for the future. So it sounds like, yeah, you got quite a lot out of it. And I guess people listening, on the, like from the outside looking in, it's just like, well, you just went somewhere, you didn't talk for seven days, and then you just sat around in your head and then yeah. ate, I guess, very well-prepared vegetarian meals and slept on a cardboard box, it sounds like. But... <laughs> I guess until yeah you do it, then you're not gonna yeah like you're not gonna understand. I guess yeah. you know it's had a really good effect on me, but it doesn't always work on everyone. And some and some mm. some it might the second time, or you know like it, it's one of those things. It, it's not a one size fits all model for these meditation yeah. retreats. But I guess if I could put it as simply as possible, meditation is what they've taught us and what it feels like is meditation is about letting go. It's about not gaining things not gaining more not gaining more insights or more it's about dropping and letting go of all kinds of things opinions feelings you have for others feel like you know long-term plans and desires that you have meditation is about dropping as much as you can because the more that you can drop the more uh attachments as they call them you know the more attachments you can drop the 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 more content you'll be um Mm. and it's very hard because We've grown up in the West where it's the opposite, where it's Christianity, right? And Christianity's mm. kind of the opposite. It's it's, um, it's not the total opposite, but it's more about becoming the best person of yourself, essentially, and yeah. always trying to strive to be greater. Whereas in Buddhism, mm. they say um, contentment comes when you stop striving. 
that's that's when contentment comes it's interesting you just be. yeah you just be right and, that, and that's what it is and after experiencing mm. it for a week i mean i can see why because you know i've spent i mean we've all spent our lives striving and trying to be better which of course is still not it's not that we all need to become buddhist monks <laughs> to become to become yeah. content but I mean, for me personally, the way I see it is it's now about being very careful about what I attach to, being very careful about mm. what I'm desiring and what's the root motivation. Is it to the root motivation of me pursuing something to massage my ego? Is it to make me is it to make me feel better about myself? Is it to make me look better in front of others? Or is it actually a wholesome desire, which is an idea mm. that the monk mentioned about having wholesome desires and unwholesome desires? And that to live a, a content life, maybe it's because we're always going to have attachments, right? We're always going to have desires mm. to, with our loved ones and, um, you know, friends and, and certain things like that. Of course, like it's not about attaching from everyone and everything, but just being very careful with what we attach to. Mm. Is it wholesome or is it unwholesome? And for example, for me with the, the podcast, I see that as a wholesome desire because I feel like we're helping other people. So to to mm. spend time striving to make a better podcast, striving to make better content or, um, you know, getting more listeners and things like that, I feel that's wholesome because it's, it's providing mm. a service to others. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, some of my goals that I looked at, it's they weren't necessarily bad, but they're, they're probably unwholesome. You know, there's, there's, it's probably the, the reason I'm doing it is more to make myself feel better about myself. And mm. there's no, that, that, and that unfortunately is like, according to to the buddhists kind of a never ending cycle it's a never ending cycle because yeah. you'll never be satisfied you'll never be mm. satisfied you'll always be craving and and like they say contentment comes from ceasing craving uh and attachment cuz yeah i mean there's always more and i guess what is challenging cuz yeah you've gone to a retreat for 7 days on an island in thailand how do you incorporate coming back into the Western environment where it's just everyone's go, go, go. We all got to, you know, we're all in competition, player versus player. You got to make something of yourself. Um, you got to acquire all these things to build up your value. And and on the contrary, you've got, yeah, these this, this religion where, yeah, it's just being content with less or just it sounds like less or just with yeah. whatever you've got now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think... And this is something I have been thinking about. Um, and they did talk about the monk. You know, he's great. He doesn't expect every. He knows everyone in the room isn't going to become a monk. You know, he understands mm. that. So he gave us some advice on how to integrate this into your life. And his advice is to start a meditation practice um, for, for every day, essentially indefinitely. Um, mm. He says it will really, for starters, it'll really help clarify your mind and purify your mind. Was the words that he used. So he said that's a great step is because then it will help you see things clearly for what they are and you'll notice what is the ego and what is not the ego. So it will really help you um, settle the mind and understand it. And being as mindful as you can as possible, which mindfulness is, from what I understand, at any point in time our consciousness can either be focused on thought or sensation. When it's mm. focused on sensation, that's being present. When it's focused on thought, that's being, I guess, lost in thought. So the more time mm. we can spend being 
our consciousness focused on our sensations and what we're actually doing, that the, I guess the less we're worrying, the less, you know, cause that's what thinking is. It's worrying, it's, you know, desiring, mm. worried about what happened in the past. So the, the less time we can spend there, the better. And even though we're still going to spend some time there. And even the monks, he said, yeah. look, I'm not perfect. Like I worry sometimes, you know, like it does, you know, there are times to worry. It's not like, mm. you know, we live in a very chaotic world and there is gen- time to genuinely worry, but it's about noticing what worries are helpful and what worries are unhelpful. If it's a cyclic thought about something that's already happened, is that really serving you? Probably not. Yeah. But if you're worried about, you know, what's happening at work tomorrow because you've got a big meeting, then yeah, that's probably helpful to think about that <laughs> because you need to prepare mm, for yeah. the meeting. So there's that. And then it's also about in setting your goals and your values, are they wholesome? Are they are they wholesome desires? Are they are you living a wholesome life? What what what's what's driving you? If it's if you're being driven by by money, fame, and success, maybe you can still be happy. You know, people can. There's a lot of happy people out there, but people like myself who have poor mental health, we are got, we've got to be careful, right? And so, striving for more and more can actually make us even more unhappy. Yeah, I think it's about being aware of what we are moving towards. Because I know that I mean, it was advised to me, I guess, with my thoughts was, um, I guess. To be yeah, mindful of your thoughts and to sort of, I guess, evaluate and like, well, is what you're thinking about in your control? Yeah. I guess was kind of the the sentiment that, you know, if it's not in your control, is it worth thinking about? Yeah, and that's kind of like sto- then, that's yeah. like stoicism. You know, that's like that. and mm. that's another great philosophy. Stoicism. And that, yeah. you know, like Marcus Aurelius. That's certainly prevalent, I guess, especially in sort of the the, the male spaces, because yeah, there's this whole, I guess, yeah, philosophy around, I guess, yeah, with, with I guess, must be yeah, controlling your thoughts, but then also, I guess, controlling your emotions. Um, yeah. If you're an unstable emotional man, that that's not um, good or, some, or not good for yeah. society or something. I mean, yeah. It's kind of the idea. I do um, have, I do have an interesting, some interesting thoughts about, I guess, religion and, and values, if, if you want me to talk about that. Yeah. Sure. All right. I guess because I've had time to reflect, um, I think, you know, talking about how, because all our listeners, I'm not suggesting you go become a Buddhist monk. I think go and definitely go and do a retreat um, to get some insight. But living in the West, I, I, I like the idea that, that or sorry, the, the root of happiness is security. So mm. how can we build security in our lives? So we need a whole bunch of different securities. You know, we need financial security. We need relationship security. We need personal security, you know, physical security, all these kind of like health security, all these kind of things. Mm. So how do we build all of those things in our life without, you know, striving for, for insane things? And I think the way that most counsellors teach and a lot of coaches teach is about identifying your values. That, that's, a, that's a great way to start because mm. if you can live within a set of values, you're a lot more secure. You know, if you've got something that you can reflect off and you know that that is you, because for me, that's been a, a long, a long-term issue is my sense of self, my sense of identity. And so by establishing values, which actually came to me during the retreat, which I now have um, a, a, yeah. basically five values that I'm really comfortable with. Like I feel like, yep, that's how I want to be. And so now yeah. it's about, so now that I've got that, it's about living by those values and Everyone can do that. Um, I know counsellors 
that I've used have, they ask the question, um, you know, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And that, that's a great mm. way to find your values and then live by those values. Um, yeah. And, and if you don't want to do that, that's what really religion, I think, was for in the first place. A lot of it is, is about living mm. within a set. That's what Christianity is. They're giving you a set of rules and a set of values, which, of course, now has been, you know, people have abandoned religion. Um, for a diff- number of mm. different reasons, because you know science has proved that the universe is much older than two thousand years old, so therefore it's untrue. Or mm. because you know yeah. Christianity doesn't like gay marriage, so therefore no one wants to. Or and of course it's been corrupted by the institutions which embody the religion through you know mm. Catholic churches and and all the shit that's happening. Yeah. So people have kind of abandoned it, right? But the thing is, it was there for a reason, you know, like. Religion's mm. not there to, I personally don't think it was ever created to financially control people or whatever notions people have. I think it can be seen as a way for people to live within a set of guidelines that, and then you can have security that you're living within those guidelines. And, and one of the monks touched mm. on this during the, um, during the retreat and he said that he thinks that, you know, heaven and hell um, within the Christian view, it's not literally a heaven and a hell. It doesn't mean there's literally a, a place up in the sky where, you know, you get to drink beers with God all day and then there's a hell where, you know, you're getting whatever down there. It, it's, it's a state of mind, right? It's a state of mind. Yeah. You, and essentially, if you they're trying to say if you follow this Christian set of values, which most people would agree with, it's pretty basic. Don't mm. kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't hurt others, don't, you know, have, you know, adultery or anything like that. Yeah. And you'll go to heaven. And I guess the point is, is that if you live by those, then you have that security within your own mind that you'll be, you'll have inner peace. And that's, and Buddhism's much the same. It's, it's got very similar values. Most religions do. And I'm not saying that everyone should go adopt a religion, but you almost need to create your own religion in a way, create your own set of values yeah. so that you can have that comfort within yourself that yet yeah, I'm living a good life and I'm being a good person. And when mm. you're doing that, you, you'll be much less anxious. You'll be much more calm having that sense of security within yourself. Would you want to share what your values are? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I made them, I'll, I'll share a few. There's a couple I, I won't share just because um, mm-hmm. I'd like to keep them to myself for now. But um, the main one is is because I just love this, this term is just being wholesome, I think, because mm-hmm. it, it captures so much. It, it, it's, it, it captures probably 20 values, I think. Being being whole, mm. being a good person, being fair, um, treating others well. Um, so I think that's a big one for me. I would like to, to for people to think of me as wholesome and for myself to be wholesome. And then there's also being disciplined. I think is a is a really important value is is staying and integrity. Um, a couple of others, but those are sort of some of the key ones that uh, I think are really important to me and. And to me, that is being a good person. Yeah, well, there's a, there's some some fine ones there. Um, I mean, the whole thing with religion. I mean, as it's, I guess, not being, I guess, at the core front of our society with, I guess, the separation of church and state. Where, I guess, I mean, living in multicultural societies, you're going to have people who believe all sorts of different things. Um, but I mean, I always like a lot of the people that have abandoned, I guess, religion as I guess we grew up with, they've kind of just found religion in 
I guess other, th- I mean, the biggest one I sort of notice is like political causes and social justice. I think that that's where a lot of people will, you know, they care about the environment, they care about veganism, they care about, I guess, like equality, gender equality. And yeah, which, I mean, yeah, I mean, they can be, I guess, if that's what you want to pursue, that's what you want to pursue. Look, um, yeah. And I think you're right. It's because we all have this impulse. For, to have a set of values that we live within and whether it's within a group or a club or a, or a political idea, um, it helps, it helps regulate yourself because it gives us a sense mm. of belonging, a sense of meaning. Yeah. Um, doing all, literally all the, all the sins. It's like I've broken all of them, you know, and like, yeah. And you know, I mean, I'm just not to say that I'm never going to be break a sin for the rest of my life, but it's, I guess it, it it's, it's funny to look back retrospectively and go, yeah. Like I can see why I had a lot of discomfort as who I was as a person because I was being a shit human most of the time. And the mm-hmm. monk, he said during the, the talks, because there's like the five hindrances, which is for, um, or something, or, I don't know if it was the five hindrances or something like that, but it was like, don't, it was basically, yeah, don't steal, don't kill, um, no inappropriate sexual conduct, um, don't lie and don't intoxicate the mind. And he then said, which one do you think is the most important? And he sort of let a pause and then he said, of course, we couldn't answer because it was a silent retreat, but he let us ponder it for, <laughs> for a moment. And then he said, um, it's don't intoxicate the mind because once you intoxicate the mind, the other four are so easy to break. Yeah. You know, that's so true. You know, like once you're, mm. once you're fucked up, especially if you're drinking, it's so easy to be a shit human because your inhibitions yeah. go and your values just go in the bin. Mm-hmm. Not for everyone. Yeah. Not for everyone. It's just like for me, I shouldn't say for it. Like there's people who can drink and they're fine. But for me personally, that was how I found it. But I guess for people where it doesn't, you know, as we've discovered, you're only going to go one way. Like, you know, if it's not happening now, it, there's a possibility. You're opening yourself up to the possibility that it could happen down the line. Yep, um, absolutely. You're not that far away from it. You know, what's your vision for the future? I guess after this couple of months. Well, the next couple of months, um, I've got some a little bit more travel planned. Um, mm. I'm going to India next, but I guess just before I, I say that, I have I, I do have a few notes here. If you if you're wondering, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I did want to I wanted to make sure because I feel like I've had a very I've had this valuable experience and I really wanted to share this with people um, and, and I really just yeah, want to yeah. make it as valuable as I can for everyone. Um, mm. So I just wanted to, the, the, last, the last kind of point I wanted to make was on the intoxication front is he did also mention a big form of intoxication is of the mind. And that comes through, um, you know, TV, social media, internet, all this kind of things because yeah. you're constantly poisoning your mind with these ideas. And the less that you can adopt, the less ideas you have in your head, the, the lot more inner peace you can have. And um, at least that's what he's taught us. And one of the most stark things I've realized whilst integrating back is just the level of stimulation that I've had up, up mm. in my whole life. Like, it's just insane. Mm. Um, you know, like using my phone, like I've got a screen timer, it's anywhere between three and five hours a day, which now it's, that just seems crazy. Um, you mm. know, some of that might be, I might say, oh, well, it's helpful things, you know, like I might be Googling or reading or, or something like that. But even that, do I really need to be doing that? Do I really need to be yeah. learning everything on the planet or is it is it actually mm. better for my mind to go out for a walk and just be quiet in nature for an hour 
what's going to be more helpful mm. or is it or looking up some you know <laughs> some fucked up atrocity of of mankind all these years ago and i want to learn about it like what's better for my brain you know and that's kind yeah. of and and that's a huge that's probably one of the key takeaways i've had and what i think is really driving just my own personal opinion got no evidence but it's just my personal opinion is what is driving a lot of unhappiness in our society is social media because it's driving up our desire so much because we're spending all day mm. looking at what everyone else is doing and going oh yeah i want that i want that i wish i could mm. be like him i wish i could be like her oh i want to go there i want to go there which are all these attachments and all these cravings that are going to yeah. make you unhappy yeah and it's just mind-blowing to and it makes sense while we're having this mental health crisis and um it's not to say that it's easy to fix but well, i guess to think of a time where yeah like we weren't on these things these things mm. that we didn't have these things in our pocket we didn't have you know a computer was one computer i mean growing up was just it was one computer in the living room and then um a lot more you know access to be just constantly stimulated with information with entertainment with um and it's a, it's always a conflicting interest because as we're in the space of creating content and i guess there's an attention market where everyone's just trying to get a little bit of attention from just anybody to then boost their profile um I guess, yeah, limit. I mean, they always say limit it. You got to limit yourself. And even you're hearing stories of like the, you know, people in tech saying that their children, they're just like, no, we limit it for, for our children because we know like we've designed it purposefully this way to really have a, a drastic effect on people's like, um, yeah. And yeah, I guess that's just the, the new thing that we have to sort of deal with as we go along. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's this thing and because mm. it is so pleasurable and it's, and, it, and, you know, there are benefits, you know, staying in touch with friends, but do we, my question is, do we really need to know what 200 people are doing every single day? Do I need to know mm. what some guy that I met a few times, do I need to know what he's doing this afternoon? Yeah. Do I need to know? Mm. Or am I mm. like, and that's, and that's the, like, yes, it's not harmful, but could I be doing something that's better for my mind, better for my health, better for my overall well-being yeah um because it's not even it, it could all just be like subconscious stuff it's not yeah. actually um conscious stuff because yeah on the surface level it's like oh well he's he's at the gym he's at the he's at this restaurant you know but like if you didn't know that because you think of our parents generation you know they didn't have they didn't walk around with a phone in their pocket for most of their not until they were at you know i guess into their senior years they've if you wanted to know what someone was doing, you had to either ring them up or, I mean, even before that, before phones, it was just, well, I guess I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and, but then before that, I, I heard recently in a, pod, a great podcast I listened to with Ryan Holiday, which for anyone who doesn't know him, he's a, a writer on stoicism, which, um, yeah, really, really intelligent guy. Um, look him up, but he talked about the fact that before phones there were you know there were there's, there's essentially been the same concern forever generation to generation like when there was a huge stress when the printing press came in and people were reading newspapers and books a mm. lot and then it was you know music and then it was movies and then it was tv and so throughout generations we've all we've always had yeah. the, we've always had this worry but i think the difference with social media is it's really driving our craving and our desire up a lot higher than all the others because we've got so much mm. comparison you know, comparison is mm. the thief of joy. 
it really like that's an old saying like comparison is the thief of joy the less you can compare the more joy you will have so if you spend your day looking at stories and looking what everyone else is doing it's going to inevitably steal joy from you so Mm. it's uh, and for me like you asked me before what am i going to do moving forward um in terms of i've still got travel but i'm going to aim to be a lot more mindful I'm going to be on my phone a lot less. So to all my friends and family listening, if I'm a little bit slower to reply, I do apologize, but it, it's unfortunately, mm. I, I feel the, I feel it's important for me to, to build some distance from my phone for now. Um, mm. And just, yeah, trying to eat better and, and, and work on trying to enjoy each day for what it is. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good plan moving forward. Yeah. Mitchell Ford. Thank you. Thank you very much, Will Hitchens. I know this has been a, it's a, I feel like I've just been vomiting information, but I've just, I'm I'm just so excited by what's happened. I just really feel like, Mm. um, and I just hope that everyone gets something out of it. Um, Don't take everything I say as, as gospel, you know, everyone needs to find this stuff out for themselves. Um, But I, I really think if, if you're really, if you're, if you're recently sober, and you're anxious and you're discontented and you're unhappy and you don't see a way out. For me, meditation seems like a way out. It seems like mm. a way to happiness or at least being happier. So, yeah, if you can get on a silent retreat or even just build a meditation practice and just start to build that as part of your, your habits, um, just uh, it, it, I think it, it really does help. And, and the people on the retreat, the, the volunteers and the monk at the end all spoke and they'd been meditating for 20 years and they all spoke about um, the impact that it's had on them and they said it was profound. You know, they said in 20 years mm. of meditation, they said, I'm a different human. All of them said yeah. that. They said it's just chalk and cheese. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah. Because, because that's the thing, our podcast, we talk about how not to drink, but it's, which, is, which is awesome. But then it's like, but then how do yeah. we become happy from here? Mm. So what's next after I stop drinking? Like, how do I, and we've talked a lot about um, strategies of external factors of, you know, hanging out with Mm. better people and exercise and these things, which are all still fantastic tools. Like, absolutely. But how do we internally become better? And that's Mm. something that I've only recently learned and I'm really passionate about. Yeah. At least for now. Because, yeah, if you feel better internally, you're not going to be reaching for the bottle anymore because you'll feel content within yourself. Absolutely. And perhaps happy with yourself a lot more that you don't want to. The state, the states that I, the state that I reached on day five on that retreat was better than being drunk. You know, it mm. was, it was, it was just euphoria. You know, and and of all natural. You know, it took me five days of meditation to get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, mm. but it, it it was an insight as to wow. You know, now I can see why monks do what they do or why people take this shit really seriously because it can mm. really make you happy and peaceful, you know? And now mm. when you see those, you know, you see hippies and they're all like, not necessarily hippies, but you see these people that have been meditating for a long time and they're just always happy and peaceful and they yeah. think very calmly and they're, I, mm. I understand it now. I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I'm probably not going to be able to reach that state again until I go on another retreat, but just to even experience it for a short period was really powerful. Well, this has been a, an insightful chat. And yes. Of course, 
we don't mind the word vomit from you because you haven't spoken a word for a week. So that's probably <laughs> yeah, maybe you're that's just making up for a lost time. I am, I am uh, making up. So this will be another episode of the Last Drinks podcast. I'm Will Hitchens. This is Mitchell Ford, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening. Ta-ta.